Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Well, happy Easter. So good to see all of you this morning. We want to welcome you and on behalf of my wife and I and our team, all of those volunteers that serve every one of you, on behalf of all of them, we wanna say happy Easter. We're so glad that you've joined us. I wanna welcome those that are watching online, our McKinney campus, Hazlitt campus. We have people here at the Keller campus in our tent there as well, our worship venue there. Would you put your hands together and welcome everyone that's joining us as well. I began to pray for you a few months ago, because a big weekend like this, I began to think about it, began to pray about it, began to really remind myself of the importance of the moment. And I found after many years, I think this is my 27th year of doing Easter services, and uh, I'm not that old. I started when I was young, so uh, I don't have any hair, but I'm not that old. Come on now, don't, some of you are like, wow, he's old. And I I learned some things along the way, and that is that the best thing I can do is really ask God what he's doing in your life and try to cooperate with him. And I kept coming back to this recurring theme, and that is no matter where we're at in our journey, if you feel a long ways from God or you're really close, a lot of times we underestimate how he's involved in our lives, how he intersects our worlds, how We are living out this human existence, but there's this supernatural other side to our world that a lot of times we're blinded to and how much he's so intentional to get involved in our lives. I'd like to spend a few moments and us talk about together, look at a passage of scripture in the book of John. If you have your Bibles, John 6, 44, I'm going to put it on the screen as well. And just, just one verse and one thought from Jesus about how God is involved in our lives more than we know. And you may be saying, I want God to get a little more involved in my life. Well, he's available and ready and wants to. I think back to this big moment in my life where something outside of me was drawing me into it. I was a little oblivious. I was a college student, 1995. Some of you seem like, man, that seems like forever ago. Others of you, you're like, that's like yesterday. You're showing your age. 1995, I was a student at Jerusalem on the Brazos in Waco, Texas, where God's presence dwells. And let's just have a moment of silence. Let's, let's have another worship song. We're in the national championship. I feel <laughs> God's presence this Easter on me real strong. I was a college student, you know, just making it week to week, day to day, trying to get the exam done, and I was a dude, so I didn't really notice a lot going on. I was with some friends out west of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and my mom, she said, I want you to come and see me, son. I want you to come and see me. So sometimes when God wants to do something in your life, he just gets a mom. Y'all know moms are beasts, you know. Sometimes moms would be like, look, God, we don't need you. We got it under control and on the list. My mom said, I want you to come see me, son. I haven't seen you in a while. And she wanted me to come and visit her at her friend's event that was going on. It was a Christmas play, and 
You see, my mom had made friends with the mom of this girl named Brandy at that time, Anderson. They met at swimming lessons and they started exchanging prayer requests and they were getting back together at this event. Now, I sort of remembered this Brandy girl, but I was even dumber than I was in college because I was 12 when I met her. You know, it was just like, you know, just missed the whole thing. Came to this thing that my mom invited me to with no idea, and while we're standing in line, this girl, Brandy Anderson, man, she was not 12 anymore. Whoa, <laughs> woman of God had grown up, you know. It's like, whoo, man, do I have a chance. That was my first thought. Do I have a chance? Because I didn't have much game. Let me let you girls in on something. We guys, we're insecure, you know. We don't want to get rejected. I didn't have much game. I wanted to pass her a note that said, check yes, no, or maybe, maybe can I get a chance, you know? So I was real, I really wanted to take her on a date, but I was scared, you know? So I did what any smart person would do. I said, mom, why don't you check it out for me? Mom, come on, feel it out. Check the temperature for me. Mom said, hey, it's just really good. I think she's open. And so I asked her out on a date, man. I don't know. There were these things outside of me happening. It was January 1995. I took her out on our first date. We were married in November of 1995. You're like, pastor, that was quick. Well, the Bible says better to marry than burn with desire. And I was in fuego. So I had to get married. You know what I'm saying? I was on fire. Woo. You had to get hitched, man. The truth is you look back at big moments and little moments and you realize that there's something outside of you many times that's involved in our lives. I'd like us to spend just a little bit of time thinking about how that really happens because Jesus in the book of John tells us very clearly what's at work in our lives. It tells us very clearly what God is doing in our lives and I have you turn here on Easter again to a passage after many years of doing Easter services. I've never preached on this passage, but I think it sums it up right here in one verse. It sums up a whole lot of the Easter story. It sums up the whole message and the desire that God has for us. I like the book of John, by the way. I recommend it many times to new believers. I recommend it to anyone, but especially those who feel a little intimidated by the Bible because the good thing about the book of John is John was, he was Jesus's friend. It's inspired words from the Holy Spirit, but it's colored by someone who had a relationship with Jesus and was his loved disciple. So he tells us so many cool details and it's just a great place to go to really be introduced to this personal Jesus. The great thing about Jesus is, is he's not a theory, he, he's not a philosophy, he's not some religious leader who's laid down these religious ideologies that tell you to do these things and you can be close to me, but Jesus, different than any other religion, it's a God who became personal because he became one of us, he came down to us. We see the story of Jesus, John tells us that he is God and John tells us some things about his background and shows us some interactions with some everyday people. And when we get to John 6, it's like if it were a movie, the music would go up because this is a big, big moment of a lot of action, 
A lot of powerful things are happening here with this Jesus. He did a lot of his ministry around this lake. It's sometimes called a sea because the wind would make it violent. And this lake that he's around, he goes to one side of it and he feeds several thousand people with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. He then walks on the water out to his disciples. Pretty powerful moment in this area of this lake. He then goes to this other group of people before he says what we're about to, to read. He goes to this other group of people and they're a little bit of the antagonistic crowd. You know, you have the, the people who wanna, wanna interact with all of the things and the questions, so they're kinda giving Jesus the Q&A session. They're asking him all these questions. He, he does fine with it, by the way. He, he's fine with our questions. Can I tell you though, it's if he sort of breaks into the Q&A session and really cuts to the chase. I've seen it experientially. God's not afraid of our questions, but most of the time, the number of our questions are really rooted in deeper relational things. It's not just the questions. I have a friend of mine who I got a supernatural burden for over a few year period. We talked about all the questions. I mean, we began evolution and what happened to the dinosaurs and, you know, if you had powdered water, what would you add? And, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick up? I mean, the questions are great, but when we got right down to it, it was a deeper relational thing most of the time. It's like Chandler, who we saw at the start of the service, got an issue with my dad. And if I have an issue with my dad, that's an authority figure in my life. And what we tend to do as human beings is superimpose that person who hurt us or where we lost trust. We, we superimpose that on the God that we cannot see. And so we have all of these barriers that come up in us. And so they were asking all these questions and Jesus just cuts to the chase and he says this, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. No one can come to me unless God in heaven supernaturally intervenes beyond the questions, beyond the trouble, beyond the challenges, beyond your religious experiences, beyond all of your perceptions of what's trying to, what's, what's happening here, what is, what is this preacher trying to do, what is the church trying, what's their agenda? Look, all of that has to kind of get cut through and then God himself has to draw you. God himself has to break through all of that and he who sent me begins to draw us. Here, here's the good news about Easter. The whole story of Easter is he went to great lengths to draw us. To bring those who felt uninvited into a place where they are invited. From every background, from every language, from every ethnicity, from every experience, from every circumstance, he opened the door wide and said, I'm drawing you to me. He says if he draws us. And then I think, this is really powerful on Resurrection Sunday where we celebrate a risen Jesus. He says, and I will raise him up the last day. I want us to unpack that a little bit together. Before we do though, I want us to think for a minute, wait a minute, if God's drawing us, he's intersecting our lives, how do we miss it sometimes? What, what holds us back? What are some of the barriers? I wanna talk about how you recognize and know when God's drawing you because he is. But one of the barriers we have to mention in our culture, 
We want meaningful relationship with God, we do. We want meaningful relationship with people. I've seen it even in an unprecedented time over the last year, the need people have. I, I recognize it in our culture. We, we have an interesting time we live in where we're more mobile and more transitional and we've left family root structures and we have a flat world because of technology and we have a ability to be digitally connected and view and peer into the lives of other people all the time. In fact, the average person has 337 Facebook friends. After the service, you can go and see if you're cool or not. If you're above 337, you're better than average. But with all this digital connection, I meet so many people who say, I'm really not vitally connected though. I'm not relationally connected to people like you saw in the story where these are family. They show up, they're there when I have a need. You're building your relationships today for your challenges tomorrow. And Jesus is drawing us to himself. He's drawing us into his family. He's drawing us into purpose. He's drawing us into significance and fulfillment. And all of that's so good. So what holds us back? Well, in our culture, we're very risk averse. You're, you're like me. Can I do yes, no, or maybe? We're just risk averse. And so we're kind of like, what would that mean? What, what, what do I have to do? How vulnerable do I have to get? I, I don't know what's going to happen. We'd like to know everything. We want to have insurance on our insurance to make sure that everything will go fine. I saw it the other day. My wife said, honey, I want you to go to this with me. I said, what is it? She said, it's a couple shower. I said, where I come from, guys don't go to showers. She said, it's a new day, you need to go. You need to get with the process. Well, look, look, I already had a shower. I'm not going to shower, I'm good. I said, well, well how'd you get invited? Well, it's this, this tool, it's a, it's a guilt document that we use today on one another. It's called the Evite. And, and the Evite comes and, and you get to show how risk averse you are because some of you, again, you, you, you are the first on the side there, you immediately reply, yes but you're not really coming. You just said yes. You just wanna keep your options open, right? And then what we really love is the maybe. Maybe, maybe I'll come. You're not coming, come on, you're not coming. Quit checking maybe. There's all these maybes over there. Look at the maybe crowd. And some of you are just bold and brash and you don't care what anybody thinks, you just no, boom. I, I like you, you know what I'm saying? I'm not coming to a shower, I already had a shower. We're a little bit risk averse, but it's something that we want. It's something that we're designed for. Easter shows us that God is intentionally intersecting our lives and a lot of times we're missing it and we're not seeing what he's up to. So I'd like us to look for a minute at what he's up to. The basics of the story, if you've never heard it, the basics of the message of Jesus, different than any other religion, Ephesians says, but because of his great love for us, I don't know how you view God, but he has great love for us. Great love, this God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions, when we're dead in our sin, not kind of okay, not sort of making it on our own. We, without Christ, we have no life at all. And everything around us begins to die, he says he makes us though, because he's alive, he has the ability to make us alive in Christ. 
It is by grace you have been saved. Let's talk about what does Easter show us about God. I'll give you two things, a few thoughts under each, and then I'm going to pray for you. Number one, God draws us. How do you know when God's drawing you? How do you actually know? You say, okay, God is like getting involved in my life. How, how do you make sense of that? What does that even look like? Well, first of all, if you're wondering about it, it's probably an operation in your life. <laughs> By the way, if you are even asking the question, he's drawing you. I, I have all the time young families come to me and say, how do you know, how do you know? I mean, how do you know if you're like doing this parenting thing right? Pastor, you know, your kids are older, like can you just, could you just help me, you know, because I mean, we, we don't have an instruction manual to these little people that God gives us, right? They're born and you go home and you go, am I qualified? I don't know what to do. Could somebody give me the five point bulletin on how to raise these people and what to do? And then they get older and they get opinions and they talk back. Now I'm in trouble. If you're asking the question of how can I be a better parent, you're already kind of on track because you learn as you go. So wondering about God is a sign that maybe you're starting to recognize he's drawing you. You're wondering. The next one is, and I've said this for years, he doesn't play fair. He'll give you someone you love that God comes into their life through the person of Jesus Christ. And he'll change them. And it could be your child. <laughs> it could be your son. It could be your daughter. It could be your spouse. It could be your friend, you know? Your good heathen friend. You know, we all have a friend that's like good at sin, right? Some people kind of do sin, but I always like a good sinner. You know what I'm saying? Everybody has a friend that's just like, like you're a pro. You're like a pro sinner and he'll change them. And you'll be like, what, how? Oh my goodness, how did that happen? I heard a story about it recently about Sean, who this happened to him because God changed his wife. Watch this with me. I was turned to drugs and alcohol at an early age and I was far, far from God. I ended up becoming an atheist for about four or five years and I used alcohol as a crutch and man this is pretty honest <laughs> but uh got out of the service uh, came down here to Fort Worth and my wife started going to Milestone Church and I was watching her and my three kids go to church and I was watching my kids sing passionately as my wife worshiped uh Jesus through music and going to church and you know I'd get in my car and worship music would be on and you know, I saw the changes that it was having on my wife and the changes that, you know, that were possible with my family. And it just, you know, it just hit a chord and uh, pulled into the same parking lot that I'm sitting in right now. But I asked Jesus to come in my heart and a couple weeks later I was baptized and it was the best decision I've ever made. And, you know, I, I watched God work through my wife to, to get me back to where I was supposed to be. And I'm very, very thankful for that. John's just living his atheist life. He's just in a place where there is no God, but 
God starts working. His wife, his kids, God starts working through them. God will take someone you love and he'll change their life and he'll draw you through that. The next one is you'll find yourself discontent. You'll, you'll just have a discontentment. I want to tell you a story from the Old Testament. There's a figure in the Old Testament when I think about being drawn. His name was Solomon. And Solomon had it all. He was at the apex. He, he, had, he was a billionaire or more in the ancient world with a B. He was at the top of the throne, the top of culture, the top of society. He had all the money, all the resources, all the things, all the houses, all the places. If there was food that he wanted, he ate it. If there was drink that he wanted, then he drank it. If there was a party to be had, he had it. The paparazzi today would be at his house because he had it all. No one told him no. His wisdom was sought after from big dignitaries around the world. The Queen of Sheba, who was one of the most powerful people at that time, she traveled the world to go find out what he had to say. But he says in his most honest discourse, which is a book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes, having all of that, he uses the word habel. Now, Hebrew words are pictures. He uses the word in your Bible, it will say something like meaningless, vanity, vain, but the Hebrew word is habel, and Hebrew words are pictures, and the picture of it is that of a well, a bucket going down into a well. This is what Solomon, who had it all, said. He comes to this well, this well of life that's supposed to give him, and if he gets that and he takes that bucket and he drops it over into the well. Believing that those parties and believing that those things can provide for him, he begins to pull that bucket like all of us do. Pull that bucket of what I can achieve. Pull that bucket of even my kids or my life or my house or my dog, only to find the bucket is empty. It, it wasn't able to provide. Do you know one of the characteristics that I found that God uses through the person of Jesus Christ to draw us is a discontent. There has to be more. Somebody lied to me because they said if I got all of this, the void in my soul would be filled and the bucket is empty. The other thing is he'll give you multiple encounters. See, God is so good that he'll start intersecting your life. Notice with Sean's story, his wife started coming to church. I heard him say actually too in a more lengthy version of his testimony that she kind of made him come and he came not expecting to get anything out of it. And he's kind of sitting there and so there's the word and there's some of the worship and then there's the people and then there's my wife and then there's my kids and it's kind of like this. If you today decided to buy a gray Honda Civic, first off, you would Google it. Then everything technological in your life would have gray Honda Civics on it. Come on. Actually, if you just said it, 
which is really scary. Honda Civics, Honda Civics. And your wife goes, well, you've been looking at Honda Civics, right? It's like, Honda Civics, Honda Civics. And guess what else would happen? On your way to work, you would see a Honda Civic. And then after work, you would see your friend come up and say, hey, I just bought a Honda Civic. And everywhere you go, it's like, Honda Civics are chasing me down. There's great Honda Civics everywhere I go. No, no, they've been there. You just weren't aware. And that's what happens when God starts drawing us the relational nature of the person of Jesus Christ because God is omnipotent. This is his kingdom. This is his world. He made you. He made it all. He's bigger than you can possibly imagine. His love for you is greater than you can fathom. And he'll just start showing up around your life because he's drawing you. Pain is another way. In pain, God whispers to us sometimes and in our pain, he shouts. In a world where we honestly, the American religion is not a religion of all these big deities that we try to please. The American religion is, I'll figure it out. I want the do-it-yourself version. Just send me the instructions and I'll do it myself. We have a religion of, we are God. If we are smart enough, if we are educated enough, if we are wealthy enough, if we can achieve, then we will fix all of our own problems inner pain, inner a marriage problem, inner a problem with your spouse that you're like, I don't know how to fix, enter a health crisis, enter a challenge with a kid, enter a situation, and somehow, some way, you're saying, is God causing the pain? No, the pain's here because we have a broken world. But in that, he starts drawing us. He starts drawing us because we start going, I need something bigger than me to help me process this pain. The final thing is, is you find yourself, because I know some of you think, oh, he's only drawing people who have never known him. But the fact is, when Jesus is speaking that no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them, it's not just a one-time event. The truth is, there are people that are listening to me this weekend who you actually know the fulfillment that is found when you're in that relationship with Jesus. And the great thing about Jesus is he not only is relentless before we know him, he's relentless after. And he always says when we drift off, when we walk off, when we chase the wrong thing, he says, come on back. Come on back to me. I know you've tried all of that and you thought it would fulfill you, but come on back. Come on back to me. He keeps drawing us. Busayo has a story of this. I want you to watch her story where last Easter, God did some amazing things in her as well. Hi, my name is Busayo and I've grown up in church my entire life. God's word was always in my head, but it wasn't always in my heart. Last year, my world started to fall apart. And in response to that, I did everything that I could to push God and his purpose as far away from me as possible. In January, I started to attend Milestone Church, and honestly, it was because it was huge. I thought I could disappear, sit in the back, and never be noticed, but God had other plans. 
Three different people from Milestone Church came up to me to tell me that God loved me, that he saw me, and he still delighted in me. I realize now that what he was doing was he was drawing me back to him. This year for Easter looks differently for me, not because I haven't heard the resurrection story before, but because God's love for me is so much more real and apparent than it has been in a really long time. I'm so glad that we serve a God who keeps drawing us back to him. The second thing that Jesus says there, though, is that not only will I draw you, I'll raise you up, which is the essence of the Easter story. The Easter story is a celebration not of a theory or a concept or a philosophy, but it's the celebration of a person named Jesus who rose from the dead an actual event that occurred. A historical event, but if it's a historical event, it's not that meaningful if it's just an event. In fact, you could think about all kinds of events. July the 20th, 1969. I don't know who knows what happened on July the 20th, 1969, but that's when the first time a human being walked on the moon. And so therefore, it's a historical event that is celebrated and was quite amazing if we really think about it. But it's not meaningful unless it's something personal to you. And that's the way it is with the resurrection. The resurrection becomes meaningful and becomes powerful when it's personalized to you. That I know I was dead. I know where I would go. I know where I would end up here in this life and in the afterlife. I know what I would be. I know the darkness of my own heart, but Jesus came alive on the inside of me. Jesus changed me. And because he changed me, it changed my view about how I treat other people, how I see the world, how I see my future. It changed my depression. It changed my anxiety. It changed my marriage. It changed my life. And I want to encourage some of you that know Jesus that this Easter, when we come to that resurrection powerful moment and it's personal to us, did you know in Ephesians, the Bible actually says the same great power that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of us. There's more power available at the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus than many times we access in our lives. So I wanna encourage you to bring those situations to Jesus that you have because he said, I'm a Jesus who brings dead things back to life. I can resurrect anything dead. I wanna encourage you that God's at work whether you see him or not. Whether you recognize it or not, he's drawing you to himself. I'll tell you one more story. It happened to me personally. A few weeks ago during our Discovery 101 class, I just always love being in those atmospheres. A young lady, 25 years old, named Casey came up. When I saw her, I just felt the compassion of God for her. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like, Wow, I just want you to know how much God loves you. She began to tell me her story. In the military, been through a divorce, 
didn't really even know God at all, didn't really even know she desired to know him. She came and visited by, invited by a friend in December and she came and visited church and started coming. All the things I just described to you were in her story. Pain, discontent, lack of expectations being met, all these things. She had a Bible. She said, I've never held a Bible. I've never read a Bible. She says now, because in that moment, in that class, she surrendered her life to Jesus. She said, I carry it around like I'm supposed to have one. And I read it. And she was transparent. She said, I don't always know what it says, but I just ask God to help me. And he explains it to me. I want you to know, it's not just the Casey's, Bisayo, Sean, his wife. He's drawing you. He, he wants to, wherever you're at, he wants to intersect with your life. I'm gonna ask if you would just to bow your heads with me. And I wanna give you the opportunity because if you're still in that place where you're wondering, maybe God's working on you. But I do believe that someone listening to me, there's a place where you're further along even than just wondering. You've experienced some of these things where God's been drawing you. What a better time than on Easter just to say yes to Jesus. Right where you are, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I would just say, I would want you to follow along with me and really make it from your heart. It's not about the words, it's really about your heart for you to say in your, your own life, your own way, Jesus, I know that I'm separated from you. I, I know that I don't have a real relationship with you and I know you've been drawing me. You see me, you see everything, you see my mistakes. But I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you gave your life for me. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my life and become my Lord and Savior. There's maybe some of you, you just need to come back to him. You, you've been away and, and, and he's been orchestrating moments. And there's some of you, you just need to say, Jesus, because the thing that stops us from coming back is we wonder, will he receive us? There's a story in the Bible where a son wanders off. He comes to his senses and he realizes real life is at my dad's house. Will my dad receive me back? And in Luke 15, it gives us such the heart of God where when the son is a long way off, the dad starts running to him. Can I encourage you with something? If you're away from God, he's moving in your direction. If you'll take one step, he'll take 10. All you have to say is, Jesus, I want to come back. I want to come back. Thank you for drawing me. I want to come back to you. We thank you here on Easter, Lord, that we worship you and celebrate you, that you are alive, that you're involved in the details of our lives. And there is great power living inside of us because of who you are, Jesus. I ask you to show up and move in the lives of people. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.